desire in you to not just attend revival, but live in revival. Welcome to the Revival Lifestyle Podcast. I'm your host, Isaiah Saldivar. I've been in revival for the last 10 years, as well as traveling and being a part of many revivals throughout the United States. I'm going to be sharing with you how to live a radical lifestyle of revival on a daily basis. New thing, I'm telling you, God is up to something right now. More people are being reached with the gospel than ever before, and I believe tonight it's not going to stop. I believe that because God has been moving on these live stream, God has been faithful. He's not going to give up tonight. If you walked in here tired, tonight's your night. If you walked in here broken, tonight is your night. I want you to type that out. Tonight is my night, not tomorrow, not the next day. We believe tonight. We're not doing these streams because we're bored. We're not doing these podcasts because we have nothing better to do. There's a thousand streams and a thousand podcasts. The reason why we are doing them because we believe that God wants to do something supernatural in your life. I believe that tonight strongholds are going to break. I believe tonight chains are going to break. I believe tonight prison doors are going to begin to open up for some of you that have been imprisoned. Some of you are writing me saying, Isaiah, I depend on Friday nights to get me through the week. I depend on Tuesday nights to get me through the week. And tonight is no different. Tonight is going to be a night where generational curses are broken by the blood of Jesus. Tonight is going to be a night where miracles are going to happen if you believe, if you're hungry, if you're desperate, if you're saying, God, I'm willing to do and go places I've never been before. Friend, I'm telling you, the enemy is constantly working, trying to shut down your praise. The enemy is constantly working, trying to shut down your excitement. The enemy is constantly trying to block your miracle and trying to block your breakthrough. And tonight we are recognizing that the supernatural power of God is flowing in the stream and that God wants to break every demonic assignment and God wants to break every demonic strategy. I feel it tonight. That's why I went very, very fast through the intro because I'm telling you tonight is the night. Tonight is the night that God is going to convict you. We need a fresh conviction right now in the body of Christ. There is an all out war going on for the real estate of your mind. The enemy is at work in your mind. The biggest battleground the Christian will ever face is right here between your eyes. There is a battle. And by the way, thank you for all those donations that are coming through. I'll read all of them at the and there is a war and there is a battle going on in your mind that the mind is the enemy's greatest battlefield and the Bible makes it clear that the enemy is working I feel the Holy Ghost I'm having a hard time not running come on help me by sharing the stream the enemy is working to build strongholds in your mind the enemy is working to build fortresses in your mind but see what you have to understand about the plans the assignments the contracts and the strongholds of the enemy is the enemy cannot build anywhere that he has not been given permission to build. In order for the enemy to invade our lives, we must give him permission to invade our lives. Every demonic attack that you're going through, every assignment in your life right now is a result of you letting him work in your life. I don't know about you, but I'm done letting the enemy work in my life. I'm done letting the enemy work in my finances. Any builder or construction worker knows this, that in order to legally build, come on, this is a word right here. I need you to take notes. In order to legally build something, you need permits to build. You cannot legally build anything as a construction worker without permits. And before the permits come, there must be an inspection to see if the area is up to code or it's or you're able to build there. See, the enemy is trying to inspect our lives to see if we are a good place for him to build. And you need to stop giving ground for the enemy. You need to stop being so easy for the enemy. You need to stop 
stop giving the enemy permits to build in your life. That is why the Bible says to cast off the sin and the weight that so easily ensnares you and the weight that so easily slows you down. It is so hard for some of you tonight to run the race because you're carrying a thousand pounds of compromise on your shoulders. It is so hard to run and it is exhausting because there is so much pressure and so much compromise and so much unforgiveness, bitterness, resentment, and every other compromise that is weighing us down. But God is saying tonight, it's time to throw off the weight. It's time to throw off the compromise. It's time to let the enemy know that you cannot build in my life, that you do not have a permit to build in my marriage. Come on, somebody needs to help me up in this chat. You do not have a permit to build in my ministry. You do not have a permit to build in my kid's life. Some of you need to go in your kid's bedroom and revoke the enemy's permit and say, you are not building in my children's mind. You are not building in my prayer closet. Devil, you do not have a permit to do what you're doing in my life. See, what you need to understand in the enemy's kingdom is although the enemy needs a permit to begin to build in your life, that God also needs a permit to begin to build in your life. The same way the devil needs permission. Come on, some of y'all need to help me. You hear me tonight. God says, I need permission and I need a permit. God is not going to force you to serve him. God is not going to force you to prophesy. God is not going to force you to preach the gospel. God is not going to force you into your prayer closet. Some of you are waiting around for God to force you. And God says, I'm not looking to force you. I'm looking for you to be a volunteer. That's why the Bible says in the day of his power, there will be volunteers. I don't want to do it because I have to. I'm volunteering to do everything that God has called me to do. Thank you so much. I'm volunteering to pray for people. You don't have to make me come to prayer. You don't have to make me fast. You don't have to make me cry out. I am right here available for all that God wants to do. God, I'm giving you a permit to build in my marriage. Come on, this is a word for some of you. This is fresh out of the oven. I'm giving you permission to build in my children's life. I'm building a solid foundation or a solid construction site so that you can do what you need to do in my life. For too long, I've been a breeding ground for demonic spirit, and I want to be a breeding ground for the miraculous. For too long, I've been a construction site for the enemy, and I want to be a construction site for God. For too long, I've given the enemy access to my mind and access to my body, and tonight, every access is revoked. Devil, you are done building. I'm tired of you building. I'm ready to lay off the weight and the assignments. The church, I'm telling you, some of you are looking for a perfect church. There are many of you that message me, and there are many of you in the chat that say, Isaiah, I stopped going to church because this, 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 or this. But understand that church will never be a perfect place. That if being a perfect place is what you're looking for, you're never going to find it. Let me tell you why the church will never be a perfect place. It's because we let you in. Come on, somebody. It's because God let me in. The church is the only entity in the world. Well, guess what? We don't check your credit 
scores before we let you in. Come on, somebody. We don't check your mental records before we let you in. We don't check your transcript. We don't look and see if you made all A's before we let you in the body of Christ. We don't check to see if you've been to jail. We don't run your background. Come on, if this was the case, half of us would not be able to be used by God. But the good news tonight, I feel the Holy Ghost, is that God says my kingdom is open to anybody and everybody, regardless of where you are, regardless of what you've done. Come on, somebody that has a background and a testimony needs to help me by shouting right now. It does not matter what you've done. It does not matter where you've done it. It does not matter who you've done. The invitation is whoever will, let him come. And that is why the church will always have challenges. Oh, at the last church I was at, this was happening and this was happening and this was happening. That's why I left this church in this ministry. You got to be honest. The reason why your church was imperfect is because you were at that church. But God says, I'm not looking for perfect people. I'm looking for broken people. Come on, somebody needs to type that out. I'm not looking for perfect people. I'm looking for obedient people. I'm looking for people that say, here I am, Lord. I might not have it all together. I might not be able to preach like this guy or preach like that guy or dress like this guy or dress like that guy. But what I do have is an attitude of obedience. What I do have is a brokenness. Friend, the world is not looking for an argument. The world is not looking for a new definition of God. They are looking for a new demonstration of God. There are way too many Christians that are talking about it, but they're not walking it out. There are way too many Christians. Come on, I see all your comments, thousands here flying through the chat. There are too many believers that are Christian in talk, but not Christian in demonstration. And this gospel, guys, that we are preaching, there's a lot of talk happening. There's a thousand live streams of people sitting there monotonely talking, but there's no demonstration of the power of God. There's no releasing of the supernatural. There are too many churches that have become debate centers and not places of empowerment. That is why the Bible says, well, I need a verse, brother. I'd love to give you one. That is why the Bible says in 1 Corinthians 4.20, come on, Nino, you know this verse all too well. I see you in the chat. For the kingdom of God is not just a lot of talk, but it is living by God's power. If you are in a church, hear me loud and clear tonight. I know I'm loud enough on my end. If you are in a church that doesn't believe in the power of God, you are not in a biblical church. If you are in a church that doesn't walk in the power of God, you are not in a biblical church. Or if you are in a church that doesn't believe in signs and wonders and miracles, you need to find a new church. The days of us babysitting people are over. The days of the church being a cruise ship are over. Come on, the church isn't a cruise ship, it's a battleship. There is an all-out war breaking out right now in America, and we don't need churches to open up that have no power. We need churches with the supernatural anointing and the supernatural power of God that are going to break down the kingdom of darkness and establish the kingdom of God. We need some believers that would walk in the supernatural power that God has intended them to walk in. The kingdom is not just about talk. That's why the Bible says in Acts 1-8, you will receive an argument. No, 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 it doesn't say that. It doesn't say that you will receive an argument when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. It says that you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. That's why Jesus said in John chapter 10, if you don't believe in me, believe in the miraculous signs and wonders that follow me and understand that the Father is me and I am in the Father. The world does not believe us. Stay with me and listen to me loud and clear. And if everybody shares this stream right now, we could jump up 
like 400 viewers but understand this right now come on share the stream understand this uh, that the world does not believe the gospel that we preach uh, because we are unable as the body of Christ to actually prove uh, that Jesus is the only living God we have bought in into the atheist lie and if you're new to the stream I was an atheist 10 years ago when I got radically saved we have bought into the atheist lie that you cannot prove the gospel, that there is no scientific evidence, but you have to understand that we absolutely can prove the gospel. They can argue everything else, but they can't argue the miracles. See, miracles prove the gospel that we preach is true. They can argue everything, but they can't argue that I was blind in my left eye. I need someone's testimony here in the chat. I was blind in my left eye, but now I can see. I I was deaf in my left ear but now I can hear I was bound to drug addiction for five years and is one in one moment I was delivered and I was freed I was an alcoholic drank every day for years doctor said if I went cold turkey I could die but one encounter with the Holy Ghost one encounter with the power of God I've never had a sip again I was so controlled by lust and sexual desires but one day God touched me and broke every chain I had constant thoughts of suicide but God has given me a hope come on somebody God has given me purpose and peace it was not by an argument or by religion or a dead church on Sunday morning it was by his power it was by his fire it was by his Holy Spirit come on does anybody tonight have a testimony of how the power of God changed your life it wasn't a song it wasn't a sermon it wasn't words or religion it was the power of God that broke my chains it was the power of God that changed my my atheist mindset it was the power of God that healed my family it was the power of God that opened up my prison cell if Jesus needed the power of God let me ask some of you dead Christians tonight what makes you think that you don't need the power of God if Jesus needed the anointing to do miracles what makes you think you don't need the anointing have you ever tried driving a car without power steering you can still get to your destination but it is incredibly hard because you were made to be power assisted you were made some of you need to stop trying to steer your life without the power of God no wonder it's so hard for you to live holy come on I'm on a roll tonight no wonder it's so hard for you to fast no wonder it's so hard for you to be excited no wonder it's so hard for you to stay planted in a church no wonder it's so hard for you to pray because you're doing it without the power of God the power of God is power steering you you were created to be power assisted you were not created to live an hour and a half on Sunday morning and barely make it by on the crumbs of some religious system you were not created to warm the pew and take up the air and breathe and just breathe the air in your church building and warm a seat you were created to be assisted by the power of Almighty God let me remind some of you because I know there's a lot of you of you a lot of new people that are in this community you are called and you are made and you were given the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead. God could have given you half of it. God could give you a quarter of it. God could give you an, an old firmware or an old version of the Holy Spirit. Or, or he could have said, I'm going to give you a 0.5 edition or a 1.2 edition. But he said, I'm going to give you the same edition and the same software that Jesus had. Come on, where are the nerds at? The same spirit that Jesus had. The same power that raised Lazarus. The same power that opened up blind eyes. The same power that opened up deaf ears. That same power, I'm going to put it on the inside of you. Not so you can live a natural 
natural life so you can live a supernatural life. If we are not living a supernatural life as the body of Christ, we are doing it wrong. Come on, somebody needs to hear me tonight that we were called to walk in the supernatural. That is why when we share the gospel, it cannot just be about something that we heard about or something that somebody talked about. It has to be something that we know. When you talk to somebody about Jesus, do you just talk to them about the mechanics of church? Do you just talk to them about the machinery of religion? Do you just talk to them about something that you heard about? Or are you digging down in the well of your own experience? Can you talk to your unsafe friends about what it means to be born again? Can you testify about what it means to be renewed in Christ? Can we talk about what it means actually to live in the joy of the Lord? Can we testify what it means to be under the bondage of those slavish bonds of iniquity, but to be freed and now living with the indwelling power of a living Christ? Come on. Can we talk from experience about what it means to be healed? Can we testify about what it means to be delivered? Can we talk about what it means to be set free? Is there anybody in the chat tonight that says, I have a testimony about the redeeming power of God. I have a testimony about what God has done. I'm not just cleaned up on the outside, but God has washed me on the inside. I'm not just pure on the outside. This isn't just what you see, but I'm saying, Lord, I want you to clean me up on the inside. See, we have a generation, come on, all 460 of you, 60 of you share this. It costs nothing for you to share the stream. Come on, bottom left of your screen. I'm telling you tonight, we have a generation, I talked about this a bit last week, that is worried about what the outside looks like, but has zero to no concern about what the inside looks like. A lot of people in our culture look good on the outside. And this is why Jesus told the Pharisees, you are so concerned with what's happening on the outside, but you don't realize it's not the outside that matters. It's the inside that matters. If I gave you a glass that was dirty on the inside, but clean on the outside, I wouldn't say, don't worry, the outside is clean because you would tell me the outside of the cup does not matter. What matters is, is it clean on the inside? And I believe a lot of us, and by the way, y'all, I'm not exempt from this. I'm not preaching to you. I'm preaching with you. I think a lot of us have this front that we put on where we're all washed up and clean on the outside, but then we still have those demonic thoughts and that lust of the flesh and that lust of our heart. And the Lord is calling the church to inward consecration. The Lord says, I'm concerned with your secret life. I'm concerned with how you pray. I'm concerned with how you live your life. I'm looking for some people tonight that would say, Lord, wash me on the inside. I don't just want to be an outside clean Christian. I want to be an inside clean Christian. All the social media posts, all the celebrities you see, all your friends and your Instagram friends and your Facebook friends, they're showing you the outside and not the inside. That's when, when you hear about how bad someone is doing, you say there's no way that they're doing that bad. Their Instagram looks like they're doing good. It's because their Instagram is showing you the outside, but nobody wants to talk about the inside. That is why when people say, hey, I'm going to come drop something off, a lot of us say, well, I'll just meet you outside. The reason why when somebody comes to drop something off in our house, we want to meet them outside is because we know that our house is not cleaned up and God forbid they actually come inside the house. But here's the word of the Lord for you right now. Jesus does not want to meet you outside your house. He says, I want to come inside and help you clean up your house. See, the Bible calls us houses. Jesus talks about demons living in houses. We are houses and we are 
are temples and we are vessels for the Holy Ghost to fill. And I think oftentimes our living room is clean, but our closets are still dirty. I think oftentimes our living room is clean, but the things in our uh, in the back rooms of our life are still dirty. I think oftentimes we don't understand that Jesus is some is going to come unannounced. Now I know all you ladies listening. Come on, I know my wife is listening. I know all of your wives are listening. There is one thing about ladies that every guy knows. Now if you're you just got married, I need every husband to listen to me very carefully because I'm about to give you a tip that will help save and change your marriage. If you're married, you know this one thing about your wife. She hates when people come by unannounced. Why? Because if you come by unannounced, you might see my house dirty. And this is the way that we treat Jesus. But you have to understand there is a biblical principle that Jesus is purposely going to come unannounced. See, the Bible says this about the coming of the Lord, that Jesus is going to come like a thief in the night. Understand, a thief does not say, I'm going to rob you at 4 a.m. tomorrow. If a thief said, I'm going to rob you at 4 a.m. tomorrow, you would be ready with a shotgun at the door when the thief gets there. The thief comes unexpectedly. Nobody ever got their house broken into and said, oh, I knew that they were coming to break into my house because you'd be prepared. And the Bible says that Jesus is like that uncle or that aunt or that mother or father-in-law. Come on, y'all, help me preach. That always shows up unannounced and you have to be ready in season and out of season. I have to make sure the inside of my life is always clean just in case Jesus gets ready to come back when I'm not prepared. See, a lot of us, when we invite people in, we do what we do with Jesus. We don't invite them to the back rooms of our life. But Jesus says, I want to go into the closets and the back rooms to clean you and to wash you. I want to restore you. Don't clean the way that Isaiah cleans. My wife says, honey, would you clean up the living room? I say, yes. And all that means is I'm going to begin to do what some of you 15-year-old boys do when your mom asks you to clean your room. I'm not really going to put things where they belong. I'm going to begin to shove things under beds and shove things in closets. And I'm not going to actually get rid of these things in my house and in my life. Come on, some of y'all need to hear me. I'm just going to move them around and find a place for them. And tonight, some of you need to have a yard sale of the Holy Ghost. And you need to begin to get rid of garbage that you've been hanging on to. Stop moving around the garbage in your life and say, oh, I'll just move this from Friday night to Saturday night. Some of you, all you did, I feel the Holy Ghost on this message. All you did was you moved your compromise from being in an open place to a hidden place and now your sin still remains the same. Now you just sin in secret instead of sin in public. But God is saying, I'm getting ready to go through the closets of your life. Come on, continue to share the stream. Thank you, Trinidad, for sharing. I'm going to begin to go through the closets of your life and I'm going to begin to clean and I'm going to begin to restore and I'm going to begin to get rid of things. I'm not going to find another place to put them. I'm going to restore you. I'm going to heal you. Why is it so important, Isaiah, that I get my life clean? Why is it so important that I get restored? Why is it so important that I stop moving things around and hiding things in closets? Because when you live a dirty life, I need you to hear me because I'm going somewhere tonight. When you live a dirty life, you have too much shame to make disciples. You have too much guilt to share your faith. You have too much shame to tell somebody that God can deliver them. And I'm going to tell you why. Because in your mind, how can God deliver the people I'm trying to minister to if I'm still struggling with the same stuff that I'm telling people God can deliver them from? See, God wants to set you free 
so that you could set other people free. God wants to deliver you so that you could deliver other people. God wants to open up your eyes so you can open up other people's eyes. God wants to heal you so that you can heal others. We need to clean up our lives. And here's why, y'all, so that we can show the world how to live a clean, godly life. We need to clean up our lives so we can show the world that it is possible to walk in holiness. Come on, somebody needs to help me before I do a backflip right here. It is possible to walk a consecrated life. It is possible not to watch those demonic movies that are coming out in theaters. It is possible to not listen to worldly music. And I'm a testimony. I've been 10 years without listening intentionally. Okay, some Christian music is worldly, praise the Lord. Without listening to worldly music, 10 years without drinking, 10 years without pornography, 10 years without falling into purposefully compromised. I'm telling you, you got to live your life so that you show people, if I can do it, you can do it too. If I can walk holy, you can walk holy. If I could pray for the sick, you can pray for the sick. Friend, this is the essence of making disciples. Discipleship does not happen in a classroom. Discipleship happens by you living a holy life and people looking at you and say, whatever that guy's doing, I want to live like that guy. However that guy's walking, I want to walk like that guy. See, we are not giving the world a pattern to follow. We are not giving them anything to be excited about, but God is saying we need to walk in the supernatural. It's not time to talk about it. Remember, Jesus didn't just ask us to do things. Jesus demonstrated how to do things. That's why the Bible says that before he asked them to wash people's feet, he washed their feet. See, true leaders don't look to their followers to serve them. They serve their followers. Jesus said, I want you to go heal the sick. I want you to go cast out demons. I want you to go cleanse the lepers. I want you to go preach the gospel. Jesus, how do you know that I'm able to do it? Because I've already done it. Jesus said, I'm not going to ask you to do anything that I have not already done. And Jesus is trying to show us that we need to live our lives by example. And we need to begin to serve and disciple the people that God has called us to disciple. Jesus' number one goal while he was on the earth was to make disciples. This was his last commandment. That's why in John 4, it says, And Jesus knew and had heard that the Pharisees heard that he was baptizing and making more disciples than John. So he left Judea, this is in John 4, to return to Galilee. Jesus' number one goal we find here in John 4 was not building big churches. Come on, somebody needs to help me and share this stream. It was not that we'd have a nice house, a nice car. It was not that you'd get hired on staff at a mega church. It was not doing miracles, raising the dead, or even healing the sick. His number one concern was making the disciples that he needed to make while he was on the earth. See, it's one thing to come to church. It's one thing to go to meetings. It's one thing to say you're a Christian, but actually following Christ is a completely different thing. There are a lot of believers that go to church, but don't follow Christ. There are a lot of people that pray to prayer, but don't follow Christ. There are a lot of people that have good godly marriages, but they don't follow Christ. See, Jesus said, I I have given you a pattern to walk in. That is why the Bible says if Jesus was holy, then we should be holy. I'm not measuring my life based on some lukewarm believer I know. I'm measuring my life based on how did Jesus live. This is why it's so essential we preach on Jesus. Jesus did not just come just so he could do everything. He came to give us a model of what the normal Christian life looked like. The normal Christian life was raising the dead. Come on, somebody needs to help me. Y'all are getting quiet on me. 
The normal Christian life was praying for the sick. The normal Christian life was casting out demons. I know some of you say, well, I've never cast out a demon. This was the normal Christian life according to the Bible. It was not abnormal to cast out demons. It was not abnormal to do miracles. It was not abnormal to raise the dead. This was the normal average Christian life. And I prophesy over some of you that it's going to be normal after we get off of this whole corona garbage going on. It will be normal for you to lay hands on the sick. It will be normal for you to cast demons out of people in your living room. It will be normal for you to baptize people. Somebody needs to hear me tonight. It will be normal for you to baptize people in your bathtub. It will be normal for you to make disciples. This will not be abnormal, but this will be normal. See, what is normal in the American church is abnormal in the book of Acts. And what is normal in the book of Acts is abnormal in the American church. But I believe that holiness is going to be normal again. I believe miracles are going to be holy again. I believe signs and wonders are going to be normal again. I believe deliverances are going to be normal again. I believe it's going to be normal to walk into a service and demons getting cast out of people. I believe it's going to be normal to see your friends and family when you bring them to the church with cancer, that they walk out healed of cancer. I believe it's going to be normal for God to restore marriages and God to save people and God deliver people and God heal people. I don't believe it's going to be abnormal. I want to prophesy over you that the days of the supernatural being abnormal in your life are over, that it is time to live the Christian life the way that God intended us to live it. It is time to spit the pacifiers out of our mouth. It is time to understand that God is equipping and raising up his bride and that God has allowed us to be locked in with him, to get locked into the secret place. And I prophesy over you that somebody is getting unlocked tonight, that someone that's been bound in chains and they've lived a normal average Christian life. I'm telling you some of you are in this chat tonight and it's been years since you walked in the supernatural. It's been years since you saw a miracle. It's been years until you you felt the touch of God. But God is saying no longer will my anointing be a once a year encounter at some tent meeting. But my anointing is for everyday use. That my power is for everyday use. That my fire is for everyday use. Our God is a God of every day and here in John 4 we're going to see what it looks like to live like Jesus. We're going to see what it looks like to make disciples. One thing that you need to understand is we're making a lot of things but we're not making disciples. We're making websites. We're making programs. We're making good worship teams. We're making good sermons. We're making people feel good. We're making each other feel good about the state of our compromise. We're making people what but would God do what we're doing right now as a church? We have to understand the way that we're doing church and living our Christian life. Is this how Jesus would do it? Let us ask ourselves. I know this is very challenging tonight. I'm getting challenged as well. But let us ask ourselves this question. And I'm going to say some stuff that maybe some preachers are afraid to say. Am I living as if Jesus was on the earth, would he be living the way that I'm living? Would Jesus only pray to the Father for an hour and a half on Sunday morning? Would Jesus only come to prayer for an hour on Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, or Friday night? Would Jesus live his life doing carnal things and doing and living a carnal life chasing the American dream or if Jesus would hear what he say I'm going to take these 70 80 years and I'm going to make disciples if there's anything 
that you get from this stream tonight is that God has anointed you to make disciples, that God did not put you on this earth to live like all your other Christian friends. God put you on this earth to duplicate yourself. God's number one goal is to manifest his son in the earth through you. You are the visible image of an invisible God, and God is saying it's time to make disciples. Disciples, I need you to understand this, are not born. If you want to tweet this, go ahead. Disciples are not born. Disciples are made. People are starving to be discipled. I'm getting hundreds of messages with no exaggeration of people saying, I will move down to your city if you'll please disciple me. I am looking for somebody to show me what it's like to live like God. And I'm telling you, some of you have so much revelation, yet you're not discipling people. Some of you have so much knowledge, yet you're not discipling people. It is time to disciple people. And let me say this, an hour sermon once a week is not enough to disciple you, especially when our sermons are nothing about what Jesus taught. An hour and a half service on Sunday morning is not enough to disciple you. You need to find a body and a, uh, and a group of believers. I'm not, I don't care what you have to do and say, I'm going to get with them and pray. I'm going to get with them and I'm going to fast and I'm going to cry out to God with them because God is looking for somebody to do life, to do discipleship with life, not just teaching it and not just preaching it. Jesus' last command was this before he left, was therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the, and the Son and the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded of you. Surely I am with you even to the very ends of the age. Jesus said, go into your job, go into your school, go into your family, go into your streets, go into the mall, go into coffee shops, go into the store, go into the church and begin to teach people around you everything that I've commanded you of. Remember disciples, this is what Jesus was saying. Remember when I told you that the world would hate you teach them about that. Remember when I told you that the meek will inherit the earth? Teach them about that. Remember when I said blessed are the poor in spirit? Teach them about that. Remember when I said the last will be first? Teach them about that. Remember when I said to deny yourself, pick up your cross and follow me? Remember when I said these signs shall follow them that believe? Remember when I gave the parable of the servants, the parable of the two sons, the parable of the leaven? He says, I don't want you to teach them popular American culture and popular American sermons. I want you to teach them everything that I taught you. I want you to talk about demons. I want you to talk about hell. I want you to talk about deliverance. I want you to teach them what I've taught you. We need to stop sugarcoating it and watering it down so that it tastes better for the crowds. And we need to understand that Jesus is looking for us to teach the world what he has taught us. Okay, this is the message he's given us. So the Bible says in John 4, Jesus leaves Judea to go to Galilee, but the Bible says on his way to Galilee, he has to stop at Samaria. It was the persecution of the religious people that ended up making Jesus go through Samaria. Understand that this was what happened in the book of Acts. Persecution would never snuff out the church, but it would bring the disciples out of their comfort zone so that they would go to where Jesus wanted them to go. I believe if there is one thing that we need in the church, it is persecution. And by the way, I do not believe the corona 
coronavirus is persecution. I believe it's a pandemic. I'm telling you, we need some healthy persecution. It, it might be a good thing that your family thinks you're crazy. It might be a good thing that your boss thinks you're crazy. It might be a good thing that you get persecuted because persecution has the tendency to bring us out of our comfort zones. And sometimes, hear me loud and clear tonight, sometimes God will allow religion to reject the move of God so the move of God ends up where he really wants it so that it ends up to the people that he wants to reach. This was the wedding banquet. He said, go invite the people, invite the servants. And the Bible says they couldn't come. And they said, well, we got businesses and we got marriages and we got families and we got this and we got that. And they made excuses as to why they can't respond to the call. The only reason, let me tell you something here. The only reason that you do not respond to the call of God in your life is your excuses. The only thing between you and you fulfilling the destiny that God has in your life is excuses. And God is saying, get rid of your excuses because I did not call you to make excuses. I called you to make disciples. And yet the very people that God called to make disciples and serve his kingdom, the Bible says, begin to make excuses. So here's what the disciples did. They had to go to the highways, the servants had to go to the highways and the byways and begin to invite and use people God never intended to invite. And the Bible says that many are called, but few are chosen. In other words, let me translate. Everybody gets an invite, but very few decide to come and accept the invite. God's first pick was not the down and out. It was the lost house of Israel, but they rejected and denied him. I was not God's first pick. 10 years ago, I was an atheist at an altar and I don't believe that I was God's first pick, but I believe I was the only one that was willing to say, God, here I am. I am available. See, God is not looking for abilities. He's looking for availabilities. He's looking for some people that say, God, here I am. I'm available for, for, for you to use me. The world was not the lost ones in the Bible. The church was. See, because you can't be lost if you've never heard something. You have to lose something and have it first before you can be lost. That's why the parable, there's three parables we always preach about the lost. These are the three. Number one, Jesus gives a parable of the prodigal son. Then we give the parable of the lost coin and then the lost sheep. And we always preach those are lost people in the world. No, they're not. The prodigal son was in the house and got lost. While he was in the house, he left the house. That was a picture of a backslider, the lost coin. The Bible says she searched and lost the coin in the house of God. The lost sheep was, was in the herd at one time and had left the herd. See, understand that it's the church that is lost, not the world. People say, Isaiah, you should just preach to the lost more. What do you think I'm doing tonight when I'm preaching to believers in America? I'm preaching to the lost. There are so many of you that are lost tonight. There are so many of you that are wandering, so many of you that have no clue why you're here, so many of you that don't know what you should be doing or why you're doing it, no clue what Jesus wants for them, and Jesus is here right now, available to touch you, available to move, and the Bible says that when he was crossing, he ended up stopping at a well, and there was a Samaritan girl at a well. You have to understand something about Samaritans. Samaritans were half Assyrian. Come on, I'm teaching y'all tonight, and thank you all those donations coming through. Samaritans were half Assyrian, and they were half Jews, and if you were any type religious, you avoided Samaria. In fact, at one point, Jesus tells the disciples, do not go to Samaria. This was the area that was avoided by the disciples, but Jesus said, I'm not afraid to cross the line. I'm not afraid to go to the places that religion is afraid to go into. There are too many believers right now in the chat and in the body of Christ that are afraid of Samaria. We want to minister to the upper 
upper class. We want to minister to people that have good jobs and don't have much issues. So we tailor make our churches to meet the needs of the middle class because they aren't too dirty, because they have money, and because they don't live in Samaria. But God is saying, I'm about to tailor make a church. Let me look right at you when I say this. I'm about to tailor make a church for the down and out. Jesus said, I'm making a church for the crackhead and the alcoholic. Jesus made a church for the cutters and the homosexuals. Jesus made a church for the lost, the depressed, and the hopeless. The church that Jesus built was a trauma center, not a drama center. Oh, come on, somebody. The church that Jesus built was a trauma center and not a drama center. This was not some Broadway-type church. This was a hospital for the lost and hurting. And we have to stop being afraid of preaching to Samaritans. We have to stop being afraid of going into Samaria. And we have to start reaching those people that religion is not willing to preach. I'm tired of talking to people that always feel like God owes them something anyway. The Bible says he ended up in a Samaritan village called Sychar and Jacob's well was there. So here's Jesus in a city that he should not be in at a well that was built by a man thousands of years ago. Now the Bible says he was at Jacob's well. Why does the Bible say that? There is nothing. I know there's a lot of new believers, so I have to explain some of this to you because I know a lot of you have, have just barely gotten saved in the last couple of months. Understand something that the Bible does not put stuff in there for no reason. And the well that Jacob dug thousands of years thousands of years prior was still supplying water for people generations later. Is there a well that we are digging that's going to help the next generations? Everything we're doing has to have eternal impact and it has to last even after we die. See, Jacob didn't realize as he dug that ladder that that well, I'm sorry, that well, not the ladder. As Jacob's digging the well, he doesn't realize that thousands of years later, people would still draw from what he dug and they would still get something from what he did. I'm talking about a generation that says now, now, now. But I wonder if there's anybody in the chat that is thinking about building wells that will supply the next generation for the water that they need. What does the water represent? It represents the Holy Spirit. I want my grandkids to have the Holy Spirit because I dug a well. I want my great, great, great grandkids who the devil had destined to be filled with alcohol, to be filled with the Holy Ghost because their great, great grandpa at a prayer meeting in Manteca dug some wells. Come on, somebody help me. It's time for somebody to dig some wells. I want somebody to dig a well that's going to last 150 years. We need to build something that will not just supply our needs now, but will supply future generations. All that I'm doing for God right now is building a spiritual inheritance for my kids. Every time I get into prayer, I'm building a spiritual inheritance. Every time I fast, I'm building a spiritual inheritance. Every time I pray, I'm building a spiritual inheritance. I wonder if there's anyone willing to dig a well. I wonder, is anyone more concerned with their spiritual inheritance than a financial inheritance? My grandma, my grandfather passed away this last year with very little material things. He lived in a humble trailer, but I'm telling you that he left a well in our family that we're still drawing from right now. My grandfather might not have left me a bunch of money in a safe somewhere. He might not have left me silver and gold, but my grandfather left a well that my entire family is able to draw from. I wonder where the well diggers are in this chat tonight. I'm not talking about gold diggers. I'm talking about well diggers. It's time to get your eyes off the money and the retirement and 
being successful in the eyes of man and put your eyes on the spiritual inheritance and the well. If you understood this, you wouldn't always show up late to prayer meetings. If you understood how to dig a well, you wouldn't always, you would take your fasting life serious. If you understood this, you would be more desperate than you are tonight. The prayers that I'm praying right now are not just affecting me now, but they're affecting people in a hundred years. My prayers are shifting things for my great grandkids. My prayers are shifting things for future generations. My prayers are breaking off demonic assignments. My prayers are breaking breaking generational curses off of my great, 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 great grandkids. I'm living right now out some of my grandma's prayers. My dad's in this chat tonight. My dad's mother, my dad's uh, mother was a praying woman. She used to pray and pray and pray and said, Miho, you need to serve the Lord. And I got saved right after she passed away. But what you need to understand is although she passed away over 10 years ago, her prayers never passed away. And I'm living, I'm living the interest of her prayers. Her prayers never died. I'm living out her spiritual legacy. See, understand the Bible says Jesus met a Samaritan woman at the well and tells the woman, will you give me a drink? So here's Jesus now. He's at the well in a city he shouldn't be in. He's talking to a woman he shouldn't be talking to. And instead of giving her something, he asks her for something. See, an encounter with Jesus will always be him asking you to give something up. And it does not make sense as to why God would need something from me and why I would have something God wants. But God is saying, give me that gift that you have so I can use it to reach people. Give me those hands you've been doing stuff you shouldn't be doing so I could use them to heal the sick. Give me those feet that you've been using to walk into places of darkness and despair and I'm going to use them to take the gospel. Come on, I'm reading the chat to the nations. Give me the eyes that you've watched filth and I'm going to use them and you're going to see people the way you've never seen them before. Give me those friends that you have and I'm going to separate you and then I'm going to save them. Give me those movies and the music and the talents. Jesus is saying, Although I have a lot to give you, the first thing that encounter does, it says, I want something you have. He came to Peter and said, Peter, let me get on your boat. And the Bible says he turns Peter's boat into a pulpit. God will take whatever you have and make it what he needs. He said, Moses, give me that rod and no longer will that rod be a normal stick, but it will be a testimony to Pharaoh of my power to deliver my people. When you get saved, you don't get bored. You get supercharged. And God uses you and supercharges your talents and supercharges your abilities. You didn't get saved just to go to Bible college and become a pastor. You got saved so that your gifts and your talents could be used for the glory of Almighty God. See, the Bible says that he was at that well all by himself. Many times that we're in a crowd, there's about 500 of you in, a ch in the chat tonight, but there are times even in a crowd, even in a large live stream like this, where God says, I'm going to get alone with you like I did this woman. I'm going to zero you out. I want some of you to remember the night you met him. When God zeroed in on you, the night I got saved, there was 800 people. And God says, Isaiah, I'm going to zero in on you. I was at that altar and it was like God took a magnifying glass and said, I'm looking past these 800 other young people and I'm going to pour out an anointing. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? Getting alone with God. That's why the prayer closet is so important that when you get alone with God, things change. When you get alone with God, things break off of you. I'm telling someone tonight, 
You need to forget about all the people in the stream. You need to forget about your past and forget about everybody around you because tonight Jesus is ready to meet you where you are. If you've been saved, get ready to go to the next level. If you've been confused, get ready for Jesus to bring clarity. If you're sick in body, get ready for Jesus to heal you. See, the Bible says the woman is shocked because Jews don't talk to Samaritans. And she says, why are you asking me for a drink? This woman was a hated race. She she was known to be in sin and she was in a public place and Jesus crossed the barrier to sh the barrier to show her that the gospel is for everybody. The gospel is not just for the rich, but for the poor. The gospel is not just for the church person, it's for the drug addict. The gospel has the power to cross over cultural lines and social statuses. Isn't this how every encounter goes? Jesus, what do you? What are you doing talking to me? Jesus, do you know my past? Do you know what I've done the years before I met you? Do you know how I talk? Do you you know how I live? Do you know how much I drink and how I abuse people? Do you know how messed up my family is? What does someone need? What does someone like you need from somebody like me? I remember when his world collided with my world, how unholy I was, how unfit I was, how undone I was. And it was by his power and his glory and the reality of his kingdom meeting with my dysfunction despite my circumstance. Come on. Somebody needs to help me preach in this house tonight. Despite my circumstance, despite my failures, should have been disqualified a thousand times. But is this not the goodness and the mercy and the grace of God that God says, I still have a plan for you. I still have a purpose for you. I still have an anointing for you no matter what you've done, no matter where you've come from. The beauty of the gospel is that Jesus will even talk to a Samaritan like me. If you only knew what God had done for you, if you only knew what God was saying, you'd be asking him for water. Jesus, you'd be asking him for living water. Here's what Jesus tells the girl. I want you to understand something. He says, honey, if you only knew who I was, you'd be asking me for living water. How many times do we show up to church and not realize who Jesus really is? How many times is Jesus standing right in front of us and we don't realize who he really is? If Jesus was sitting front row and most of our churches, I wonder what the line would look like of people lined up asking him for things. Yet understand that Jesus is living on the inside of you, that Jesus is living and breathing and talking and active in you. And he says, tonight, I want to touch you in a way that you've never been touched before. I want to anoint you in a way that you've never been anointed before. I want to do a new thing in your life. And it starts now. Stop putting it off. If you knew the Jesus I was preaching about, you would be praying, you'd be crying out, you'd be desperate, you'd be hungry. But I wonder if our lack of prayer, I wonder if our lack of desperation, our lack of intensity, and our lack of passion is a result of us not knowing who he really is. People say, Isaiah, why are you so passionate and sweating all the time and screaming all the time? It's because I know who he is and I begin to share about him. There is a fire that is shut up on the inside of my 
my bones. There is a passion when I get up here and I start sharing. There is a praise. There is a hunger and a desperation. And I need somebody tonight to get a desperation. I need somebody tonight to get a hunger and say, Jesus, I'm listening. I hear you and I need your living water. Jesus said, you'd be asking me for living water. And she says, well, Jesus, there's no way because you don't have a rope or a bucket. So there's no way for you to do what you're saying you're able to do. In other words, because she does not realize, stay with me, that this is God. She's now trying to tell God what he can and cannot do. Well, Jesus, you don't understand. Come on, when Jesus says he's going to heal your kids and your response is, well, Jesus, you don't understand how lost my kids are. When Jesus says, I'm going to bring revival, you don't understand how my parents feel about revival. Jesus, how are you going to come through in my finances? You don't understand how my bills are. Well, Jesus, how are you going to heal my cancer? You don't realize it's in the fourth stage spreading through my body. Well, Jesus, my family is more messed up than you think. You don't have what it takes. You can't do what you said you can do. But I'm telling you here tonight that Jesus can save your entire family in a moment. Jesus can heal you in a second. Jesus can deliver you in one word. Jesus does not need anybody's help, and he doesn't need any special situation. He does not need a rope or a bucket to supply you with what you need. This rope and bucket mentality is keeping us from breakthrough in the place of prayer. Well, God, you can't do it. You don't have a rope. You don't have a bucket. We're talking about the God that opens up his mouth and stars come out. We're talking about a God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And there is nothing that is too hard for our God. And if he's done it for one person, he says tonight, I'm getting ready to do it for you tonight. I'm getting ready to do it in your kids. I'm getting ready to do it in your marriage. I'm getting ready to do it in your family. Here's Jesus' response when she says, Jesus, you can't do it. He says, anyone that drinks this water will be thirsty again, but anyone that drinks the water I give will never thirst to give thirst again and it will give them eternal life. Jesus is trying. Now this lady is not understanding like us. She's hard headed. She's not getting what she what he's even saying and Jesus is saying look lady you can try to fill the void in your life. You can try to drink and party and do drugs and only temporarily satisfy your desires but the only real way to be, satisf- be satisfied is by getting what I have. The world is only going to temporarily fill your eternal eternal void. This is how we witness to people. The way that I witness is I understand this, that every person I preach to has a void on the inside of them that only God can fill because you have to understand this, that this water that we're preaching about tonight, it will quench your eternal thirst, that you will never go off looking for pleasure and looking for drugs and looking for sex and looking for alcohol in the wrong places. But the water that Jesus gives, it gives life. I'm so glad that January 12th of 2011, I encountered the living water and I'm standing here 10 years later and I've never thirsted again. I've never had to go back to drugs or to alcohol or any other thing because Jesus satisfies every need. Jesus will quench every thirst. Jesus is the creator of pleasure and he knows exactly what you need. Somebody needs to get some living water. Here's her response. Give it to me 
so I don't have to come back here. She wants it, but not so that she can have eternal life. Stay with me now. She w- wants it, not so that she can be saved, not so that she can make disciples, not so that she can heal the sick, not so that she can raise the dead. She wants it so that it could solve her temporary problems. She says, Jesus, I want your water, but understand something. I only want it so I don't have to keep coming back every day and drawing water, and I don't have to work anymore so that I can be lazy. And this is the gospel that we've created. We've created a gospel that says, if you serve Jesus, he will solve all of your problems and nothing bad will ever happen again in your life. If you serve Jesus, everything will be easy. And she wanted an easy Jesus and we want an easy Jesus. But understand something, that there will still be storms if you serve God. But the difference is that Jesus will be there to bring peace in the storms. There will be trials in your life still, but Jesus will be there in the trials. There will be problems. The problems will not go away, but the way that you deal with them will change. The way that they affect you will change. So he says this to her, go get your husband. And she says, I don't have one. And Jesus says, I know you've had five and the one that you're with is not your husband. Here's the lady's issue. Her issue is she does not know how to stay committed to one person. She does not know how to stay faithful. And this is the spiritual adultery that is happening right now in the body of Christ. We are committing, come on, share this. Everybody right now, hit share on the stream. If everybody hits it at once, you'll really help the stream. We are committing spiritual adultery in the body of Christ because we are sleeping with other things. This whole God thing is fun for a season. We have commitment issues. It's like for a year or for a month or for six months until the next man comes, until the next fad comes and just a phase or a fad. And you ought to understand how many people I see that are unfaithful to God, unfaithful to the ministry, not able to fully commit to a ministry, not able to fully make covenant. They're back and forth every day. We don't know if they're hungry. We don't know if they're not. We don't know if they want to praise, if they don't want to praise. Understand marriage is something that's supposed to last until you die. And what Jesus was trying to get across to her was this living water, this relationship with me is not a fling. It's a lifelong commitment. And there are too many of you in the chat tonight that are merely dating God and you don't want to make a full marriage commitment with him. There are too many of you tonight that are trying to be friends with benefits with God and God is saying, stop trying to date me and marry me. Not only is that lady on her sixth guy, but the sixth guy that she's with, she's not even married to understand oftentimes in the Bible, women in parables and stories represent the bride of Christ. And I believe that this woman was not only a picture of a person that was not able to fully commit to something, but I believe that it was a picture of the American church that has committed spiritual adultery, that as the body of Christ, we have married entertainment in the church. We have married money in the church. We have married culture in the church. We have married programs in the church. We have married comfort in the church and now it's all about how good looking the pastor is how good the pastor dresses how nice you can look in church but when is the church of Jesus Christ going to be faithful to God when are we going to stop committing spiritual adultery and stop getting connected and getting in bed with every new doctrine that passes by you got to get tired of getting in bed with compromise you got to get tired of getting in bed with sin you got 
to say, devil, you need to get out of my bed. I am done dating you. I'm done sleeping with you. I'm done getting my hair cut at Delilah's barbershop. I'm done having naps with Bathsheba. I'm done having sleepovers with Delilah. I am married to Jesus. I am in communion and relationship with the son of God. And I am tired of being unfaithful to God. This woman had commitment issues. And tonight this message is for somebody that has commitment issues. And God says, it is time for you to commit. Now, what happens when Jesus brings up her issues? What happens when Jesus talks about her sin? What happens when Jesus preaches on her sin? She does what a lot of us do. She changes the subjects and she starts talking about questions about worship. Is this not what every one of us do? And I'm reading the comments right now. Is this not what we do when someone starts pointing out our sin? Whenever someone starts talking about our issue, whenever someone tries to confront us, we change the subject and we start talking about something of lesser importance. We don't want to deal with the porn problem in the church right now. We don't want to deal with the gossip gossip issues in our churches. We don't want to deal with how unfaithful our congregation is. We don't want anyone to get in our dirt and to talk about what we're really facing. And so we start talking about other things and we go on and on about how the church needs more discipleship groups, about how the church needs better worship teams, about how the church needs to build better programs and faster altar calls. And we go on about the doctrine of grace and the doctrine of love and the doctrine of legalism and holiness, but the root of everything we're going through in the Western church is that we are in adultery and that we are unfaithful. This is the real issue, and we can make it about programs and about doctrine, but it is clear here that the issue is her not wanting to commit. Jesus says, lady, it doesn't matter where you worship. You could worship on this mountain or you could worship over there, that God is looking for those that would worship in spirit and in truth. See, worship is not not about your location. He was saying God is looking for people that would worship at work. Come on, somebody needs to help me tonight. God is looking for people that would worship at school. God is looking for people that would worship at college. God is looking for people that would worship at home. Come on, let me know. Give me some flame emojis in the chat. Don't let the only time that you worship be on Sunday morning at church. The Bible says true worship is giving your body as a living sacrifice. Real worship happens all all day when we do things that bring glory to God. Worship is a lifestyle not an event that we go to. And I don't want you to let your Sunday morning be the only time that you worship. The lady responds to Jesus. I'm almost done and says, Jesus, the Messiah is coming. And Jesus goes, okay, lady, you're not understanding what I'm preaching tonight. You're not understanding what I'm sharing tonight. I am the Messiah. The Messiah is standing right in front of you. And the Bible says when she realizes it was the Messiah that she left her jar that she brought to get water in. And tonight God is saying, I'm going to call some of you to leave your jar. I'm going to call some of you to leave what's important to you behind. You need to understand the only reason that you are alive is to know God. And when I came to God, I left my water jar. All the things I dreamed of, all my hope, all my aspirations were meaningless in light of him. She forgot about why she even came in the first place because she got something 10 times better than what she came for. Let me say that again. She forgot why she even came to the well in the first place because she got something from that well that was 10 times better than what she came from. And maybe some of you came in this stream for healing. Maybe some of you came in this stream because somebody told you about it. Maybe you came in this stream because you 
needed something. Maybe you came in the stream on accident, but tonight I believe that you're going to get something that you didn't expect to get when you came. Can you imagine the morning that she woke up? She didn't dream in a million years that this would be the day that she finally got what she had been needing. This would be the day that her life changed. This would be the day that her life turned around. This would be the day that everything changed. This could be the day you get healed. Come on, somebody. This could be the day that you get delivered. This could be the day that you get breakthrough. This could be the day that God sets you free. You might have came in here and stumbled into the stream like many of you do, but tonight God is saying you're not going to walk out of this the way you walked in. You're not going to exit out of this broadcast the way that you came in. You came in with faithfulness issues. You came in with compromise in your life, but God is saying tonight I'm going to break the compromise. Tonight, I'm going to let, I'm going to break everything you've been trying to fill that void with. And then Jesus gets done talking. The woman goes back, and the Bible says she goes to the city and tells everybody about Jesus. This is a result of an encounter with God. You will tell everybody about him. And for two days, a revival breaks out because a famous sinner had an encounter with God, and it so changed her in the village. She wanted everybody to know about it. It's time for everybody to know about what God is doing in your life. It's time for a fresh outpouring and a fresh encounter. I believe tonight we're about an hour and 20 minutes in. I believe tonight that God wants to bring breakthrough in your mind, that God wants to bring breakthrough in your body, that God wants to bring breakthrough in your in your finances that tonight is your night for a miracle. If you're in this chat and say, Isaiah, I'm like that lady and I've been going to all the wrong wells. Some of you need to dig a well. Some of you, it's been years since you dug a well. And I'm telling you, it's time for you to dig a well. It's time for you to say, God, I want to get in the secret place. God, no one has to beg me to pray. I want to pray. I want to cry out. Stop letting the enemy build strongholds. Stop letting the enemy lie to you and try to convince you that God can't use you. It's time for you to stop dating God. It's time for you to stop having one night stands and trying to be friends with benefits. It's time for you to say, God, I'm going all in. I'm going to be committed to your word. I'm going to be committed to prayer. I'm going to be committed to fasting. I am serious about what God is saying and I'm serious about what God is doing. If that's you right now, just close your eyes. Father, we are asking tonight that you would bring breakthrough over every person watching. Father, we are asking tonight for breakthrough in our minds. We are asking for breakthrough in our marriages, God. Father, we know that you're not bound to time or space and tonight is a night of miracles and healing that if you could meet that woman at the well then you could meet us tonight and father I believe tonight you're going to break chains in people's lives father right now we speak against every demonic assignment and every demonic power and we plead the blood of Jesus from the top of your head to the soles of your feet father we are asking that you would use us to evangelize this nation we are asking lord that you would use us to dig wells that would feed future generations we are asking God, that you would touch us in a deep way. Father, forgive us for searching to all the wrong places to look for life. Forgive us for searching all the wrong places to look for peace. But tonight, God is saying, it's time for somebody to get living water. It's time for somebody to get passionate again. Father, we are asking, release your living water. God, fill us with living water. Come on. 
wherever you're at. Father, we're praying that you would fill us of living water right now. There's some of you the Lord is saying that is new, that you just got saved. A couple of you have written me saying you got saved in the last month, and the Lord is saying tonight is a night of breakthrough. Tonight is a night of break up and breakthrough, where you're going to break and you're going to sever the ties that the enemy has tried to build in your life. You're going to sever the ties of compromise. No more spiritual adultery. No more being uncommitted to the move of God. No more sitting there and having soft prayer meetings and soft sermons. God is saying, now I am jealous for my bride to rise up. I am jealous for my people to get serious in the place of prayer. Father, we are praying that you would forgive us of this compromised, watered-down gospel. Father, we are praying that you'd forgive us of straying away and not being committed. That we have strained, we, we have strayed off, we have married other lovers. But tonight, God, we are saying we want to be lovers of you and your kingdom. And I believe tonight somebody is going to get a fresh encounter. I believe tonight somebody is going to marry God like never before. I believe tonight somebody is going to commit to God and say, God, I'm taking this thing serious. I'm done sleeping with entertainment. I'm done sleeping with the culture. I'm done sleeping with compromise. I'm done sleeping with status quo. I'm done sleeping with Delilah, Bathsheba, and Jezebel. Lord, I only want to be intimate with you. I'm tired of living my life a compromised life. It's time to throw off the weight that's entangled you. It's time to throw off the weight that you've been running with. Tonight is the night to get breakthrough and deliverance. Father, we thank you. We thank you for your power, and we thank you for your anointing. Come on, I'm telling you guys, I want you to believe that God is doing a new thing right now. Even as I know Donald Trump said today, the churches are going to begin to reopen. I believe as we reopen, I'm not going back the way that I left. I'm going back with a new shout. If you're just joining the broadcast, we're an hour and 20 minutes in. When we end, you can rewatch it. I'm going back with a new praise. Guys, I want to encourage you. I'm going to talk to some of you in the chat here, and I'm going to read through all of this long list of donations. I want to encourage you to part and donate to the ministry. We have a link right there. I am not afraid to talk about money. The Bible says that what you sow, then you shall reap. And if you want to reap, then you have. Thank you so much for listening to this week's episode of the Revival Lifestyle Podcast. If you like what you heard, go to www.isaiahsaldivar.com for more content. And please follow me on Facebook, YouTube, and Instagram at Isaiah Saldivar. See you next week.